0: to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And this will serve as a crucial chapter, crucial chapter to this book of Acts and uh, has remained critical throughout all of church history. Uh, We the readers, of course, have witnessed as the Gentiles in Galatia are pouring into the church. Several Sundays we have seen that. Uh, They've been grafted in by the Holy Spirit into the people. Of God. Uh, So now the matter must be settled as to what constitutes the people of God and how a major ethnic distinction, even a division in the church, Jew and Gentile, shall finally be resolved. Acts 15 is exceedingly important. Because how the Holy Spirit guides us to understand this chapter will decide several aspects of our theology. First, it will determine our soteriology, or how people are saved. Uh, How are Christians saved? Is it salvation through faith, or, or faith plus something else? This chapter will also determine ecclesiology, or how the church Functions. Uh, Is the church one in Christ, or is it two peoples of God with a distinction between Jew and Gentile? And therefore, Acts 15 will determine also your eschatology. Is there something remaining that is exclusive to one of these two? People's. So it's a very important chapter. A lot of questions to be answered uh, through Acts fifteen. Yet we should just begin today by understanding that at this juncture in time, uh, we, Luke's readers, we actually possess more information at that at this point than does the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we we have seen the report of everything that is going on in Galatia. Jerusalem hasn't. The church in Jerusalem, that is led by Peter and James, uh, they had recognized that a small number of Gentiles, uh, like Cornelius, had trusted in Jesus, uh, but they have not heard the results of Paul's missionary exploits. And uh, we must note that they have not yet made a public declarative statement concerning how Jews are justified versus how Gentiles are justified. That will all now change with a meeting that will be called to finally resolve the relationship between Jew and Gentile. It'll be once for all, or at least you would think it would. Acts 15 records what is infamously referred to as the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Here the apostles will announce that not only is circumcision not required, but will also declare, beginning in 9, that God makes no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Both have their hearts cleansed by faith. Both groups... By faith, are thereby saved or justified uh, having a righteous standing before God. And uh, their justification is enjoyed in the exact same way. It is a narrow way of faith alone in Christ alone. We won't get into that final apostolic declaration Today, uh, as it will be announced by both Peter and James uh, in the future two weeks, uh, but we will discuss how the need for this council materialized. First, let us read verses 1 through 5. Be aware, the previous context has explained how Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey returned to Antioch in Syria, and now have spent a long time with the disciples there, verse 28 of chapter 14. Uh, Some of your translations there read, uh, they spent no little time there. The word order in the original Greek uh, adds considerable emphasis. The King James says, there they abode long time. Effectively then, Paul and Barnabas have returned and resettled into their previous teaching roles in Antioch for some time, perhaps several months, a a period during which, at some point, Jewish legalists arrive. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we read, "...some men came down to Judea and began teaching the brethren." Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, actually the Greek implies dispute, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, having been sent on their way by the church. Uh, They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Uh, When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received, get this, by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them, uh, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Well, you will probably be uh, relieved to learn this subject of circumcision and uh, function or use of the law uh, It will not be a debate settled in 15 minutes in just this single setting. Uh, Nor, I will propose to you, nor will circumcision cause a dispute between apostles. It will become rather, both in Antioch and Jerusalem, a dispute between apostles and lingering legalists. Those who just refuse to abandon circumcision and the law of Moses as being elements of salvation. Yet there exists no division between apostles on this topic. Among the legalists, we're going to observe two camps. The first camp of legalists, they're visiting Antioch, all right? A city which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, quite a distance in that day. Uh, This first camp of legalists are described as described indefinitely. They're just some men. These men will, uh, they will lose their argument with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas as seen in verse 2. By comparison, a second camp of legalists that is Pharisees in Jerusalem, Uh, they are described as believing Pharisees. They will lose their argument next Sunday with Peter and James. But recognize these are two distinct groups. The second group, again, the believing Pharisees who will observe next Sunday, uh, they will yield to apostolic authority in Jerusalem Why do they yield to the decision and the teaching of the apostles? It is because they are believing Pharisees. They will yield to the declaration by the apostles. In contrast, this initial group in verse 1, just some men who arrived in Antioch, uh, verse 24 Will reveal they were never sent by James or by the church. But upon arriving, they oppose Paul's missionary successes and the conversion of scores of Gentiles in Galatia. They don't like it. They rebel against the Apostle Paul and Barnabas by teaching to the contrary. They insist, verse one. All must be circumcised according to the law of Moses. It is essential, they say. And during this dispute, uh, Paul, a a notorious Pharisee, and Barnabas, a Levite by birth, both experts in the law, uh, they employ the law to squash the legalists like a bug. In return... The legalists tell Paul, uh, well, that's just your interpretation. They, they don't yield. They likely, or most likely, I will propose in chronology, they likely depart Antioch in disgust and proceed to visit those new churches toward the west in Galatia Attempting to undo the grace of God that Paul and Barnabas had preached there. Stay with me. This chronology is important. News then travels back to Antioch from Galatia. And these legalistic Jews, they're stirring up a mess there. Gentiles are being compelled to be circumcised. These Judaizers, or Jewish legalists, we refer to them as Judaizers, are compelling Gentiles to be circumcised. And in response to that news that travels back, the Apostle Paul fires off his first letter, his first epistle, to the Galatian churches to refute the Judaizers who are preaching another gospel. In fact, a gospel that requires circumcision, a false gospel. We have a name for that first letter by Paul. It is called Galatians. Galatians. Oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? And I believe Paul writes that letter from Antioch, firing it off as a... With supreme confidence and apostolic authority, because he has already had this discussion with James and Peter and John. Uh, that meeting came about previously, after Peter had visited Antioch. That was an occasion where Peter and And Barnabas got carried away with the hypocrisy of not eating with the Gentiles. Uh, Peter's brain freezes in Antioch, described in Galatians chapter 2, prior to this Jerusalem council. Not after Peter makes his declaration in Acts chapter 15 verse 7. We can know this because the chronology uh, that Paul states in Galatians 2 says that it was due to a divine revelation that he went up to Jerusalem. He and Barnabas and Titus went up. Uh, They had previously went to Jerusalem. It says, secretly, in private, is how the Apostle Paul describes that meeting. There Paul says, because of a revelation from God, I went up to Jerusalem in private to discuss circumcision with those of reputation there, specifically Peter, James, and John, uh, to ensure, Paul says at that time, he goes, I hadn't somehow run in vain. In contrast to that earlier revelation and private meeting, Acts 15.2 states, Paul goes to Jerusalem because the brethren determined he should go. Not a revelation. And does this journey, described in Acts 15, verses 3 and 4, does it look private to you? Not in the least. Instead, as Paul and Barnabas travel from Antioch to Jerusalem, they're broadcasting this trip big and loud all over Phoenicia and all over Samaria and Judea announcing what God has done among the Gentiles in Galatia. Why can Paul and Barnabas broadcast this trip big and loud? It's because they have a very high confidence concerning what Peter and James will rule on circumcision because they have already had this discussion with them in private. And at that previous private meeting described in Galatians chapter 2, Peter, James, and John did not even compel Titus to be circumcised, but rather extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas and told them, you go to the Gentiles. Well, that's not after they come back from Galatia. They'd already gone to the Gentiles at that point. It was before. You go to the Gentiles. But that meeting wasn't private. The private meeting was held before Paul's first journey to Galatia. Still, that earlier private meeting hadn't fixed the problem with uh, Jewish legalism in Judea. You follow me? If you feel completely lost, just know this. That's okay. I know some people are like, I can't even spell Galatia. Where does this all come from? It is important. If you feel completely lost, just know this. The discussion over circumcision amongst the apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, along with Barnabas and Titus. That occurred privately a couple years before Acts 15. But because the Jerusalem church was so Jewish, so Jewish, no public announcement was made concerning circumcision. The Jews wouldn't have received it well. Yet the apostles had privately expressed agreement. There's a clinical theological phrase we use to describe their inaction. They kicked the can down the road. Not only... Does scriptural evidence support that there was this earlier private meeting? But if you read the chronology any other way, Peter visits Antioch and withdraws from Gentiles to eat kosher after this Jerusalem council and after his and James's final authoritative declaration where they say God makes no distinction. Peter didn't slip up after. You'll need to consider your Bible study notes uh, and whether they may be wrong in this matter. There are differing views on this. I'm giving you the right view, okay? Um, it's very important. And it was precisely because Paul and Barnabas... Titus was with them precisely because they previously met with the apostles in Jerusalem privately concerning circumcision that they can confidently blast these Judaizers in our verse 2. They aren't portrayed in our passage as remaining uncertain or lacking confidence concerning circumcision. Rather, they are portrayed as waging battle a great dissension, a spiritual dispute against the Judaizers. Additionally, when Paul and Barnabas pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, verse 3, uh, they are not passing through cautiously and privately, but are broadly announcing and, quote, describing with detail the conversion of Gentiles and celebrating openly. It's bringing great joy to everybody. Nothing private about it. Uh, they can do that. They do so, not because Paul and Barnabas remain unsure about circumcision at this juncture, but because of how very sure they are concerning how the apostles, Peter and James, will rule concerning the issue. Two years before this, Paul and Barnabas were, were at the, they're merely at the, the meeting before the meeting. They already know the ruling. The reason First Christian Church of Antioch, in verse 2, determined that Paul and Barnabas and a few others should go up to Jerusalem is because of the lingering ignorance in the region of Judea that kept producing legalists, like the ones that have already arrived in verse 1. Consequently, the church in Antioch wants that earlier Galatians 2 private meeting to be made formal and public to thwart any future Judaizers. And the reason the apostles were willing to kick this down the road earlier, we can't understand this. It's because all those Jewish Christians in Judea, they had already been circumcised since they were eight days old. To them, circumcision hadn't been a salvation concern, but was a cultural expectation prompting no urgency for dealing with it. All the Jewish Christians had long been circumcised. So why would Peter, James, and John rush to a confrontation by telling everybody in Judea, now you don't need to be circumcised? Two years earlier, following the private meeting, simply, it wasn't the time to raise the concern. It wasn't timing yet. Why? Following Paul's first missionary journey, the number of Gentiles entering the church, Christ's church now, it's far more outpacing the Jews who are entering the church. Now it is becoming an issue. Now it's a problem. Somebody has to make an authoritative declaration public. Under the new covenant, will circumcision be required? Or are we justified by faith alone? And have the people of God always been justified by faith alone? We'll we'll begin to figure this out in verse 4. We read, When they arrived at Jerusalem... They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. Again, no private meeting at this time. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The Pharisees, understandably, believing Pharisees, uh, very Jewish They they can't protest. It's like, since when have we dropped circumcision? Meanwhile, we as American Gentiles might find ourselves asking, how is such confusion still possible 19 years after Christ was crucified for sins, buried, and raised from the dead? How could these Pharisees in verse 5 and other Jews who had believed? How could they be justified by faith alone and still believe they had to be circumcised? I offer, three, I offer three explanations for their confusions. Number one, as already stated, circumcision is all the Jews ever knew. Up until a very short time ago, up until a very short time ago, every Christian convert was already Jewish. Therefore, they were already circumcised. And the question in the Jerusalem church had never officially been raised. Those few Gentile converts, you you got Cornelius, Titus, a few others way up 300 miles north in Antioch, um, they lived in distant places. Caesarea, uh, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, These Judean Christians... Christians in Judea, Jewish Christians, they just ignorantly kept doing what the culture they had been raised in always had been doing. Don't tell me that you don't think that still happens today. (coughs) Ever heard of infant baptism? They just keep on doing what they've always been doing? Secondly, the timing wasn't previously right for the announcement. When Paul and Barnabas arrived with Titus a couple of years earlier, there were still only a few Gentile converts. Meanwhile, there were tens of thousands of Jewish Christians in Judea. Why upset the apple cart? The evidence wasn't there for a sudden change since being circumcised itself doesn't damn anyone. No one's going to hell because they're circumcised. Peter, James, and John didn't sense an urgency to announce a culturally difficult shift. Change takes time, folks. Have you ever cataloged for yourself, written down, how much over time your understanding of doctrine has changed since the day you were saved. Immediately after your conversion, you probably didn't process whether you had to be baptized or not. You probably only realized that you had been baptized, either as an infant or as an adult but on day one, you likely hadn't wrestled with the question, is baptism essential or not to be a Christian? Or are you justified by faith alone? By the way, you're justified by faith alone. We now possess these answers. Uh, in contrast to these earliest Jews, we, we have the entire New Testament at our disposal. In Acts 15, they had none. And even with 27 authoritative apostolic books in our possession, the expanse of Christian theology, increasing understanding for all of us happens over time comes over time. Example, over time, most of us have come to a realization that Christians no longer observe Sabbath rest in a day. A couple of you just said, what? That's a different sermon for a different day. Nonetheless, once you become justified before God by, bla- by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting that God's only Son died for sins, taking the punishment for you, you don't have it all together on day one. Acceptance and embrace of sound doctrine takes time, takes years. Years. But over time, like these early Jews in Jerusalem will, your errant ideas, my errant ideas, need to be challenged and changed when they conflict with apostolic doctrine. Which brings us to reason number three. A ruling on circumcision by the apostles simply had not yet been announced. But now, with the expanse of God's kingdom pointing west into the Roman Empire, you know, land of the Gentiles, it's no longer just Cornelius and a couple others anymore. It's no longer just a small church up in Antioch any longer, out of sight, out of mind. Circumcision is becoming a problem for the church following the inclusion of the galatian gentiles it is now a source of increasing division between jew and gentile gentile and that will not be allowed to stand in christ's church a place where peter says there's no distinction if the chronology that i presented to you is accurate i believe it is paul and barnabas ran these Judaizers, in verse 1, out of Antioch. They, the Judaizers, proceeded to Galatia to spread false doctrine under, under the guise of circumcision. One of those churches said, at least one, wait a minute, Paul and Barnabas never said anything about this. Imagine being 40 years old and someone saying, now you need to be circumcised. Whoa! Tap the brakes. So a Galatian envoy, an embassage, a group, uh, traveled to Antioch to seek out Paul. and, And Paul says to them, "Yeah, I know these guys. I know them. And Paul pens his first letter, sending it back with them to Galatia, stating, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. Galatians 6.15 Next then, the home church. Paul and Barnabas's home church in Antioch. Uh, they say to Paul, this is what I'm proposing. They say to Paul, you know that letter that you just wrote to the Galatians? That baby's going to come back around, full circle, and it's going to explode in Judea. Where where all the Jewish Christians are now living. So we're going to send you and Barnabas preemptively to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles to get this all formally adopted by the church. Paul, if you do not beat your own letter to Jerusalem the church in Antioch is going to become inundated with angry Judaizers. That letter that goes to Galatia will get back to Judea. So now the clock is ticking. Now circumcision is an issue. Now the time is ripe. And the apostles must make a formal announcement to the church. I believe that Paul and Barnabas fully agreed uh, but they stated to their own church in Antioch. We will go to Jerusalem. It's the right thing to do, but we are not going quietly and we're not going privately this time. We're going to make our way to Jerusalem through Phoenicia and Samaria, every place in between, blowing the trumpet and explaining with great detail, our text says, how Jews and Gentiles everywhere are being justified through faith in Christ alone. The reality is salvation does not hinge on circumcision. It never did. We are all justified by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And as experienced by Father Abraham... Justification has always been through faith. Uh, Of course, you and I have read the book. We already know that the church in Jerusalem agrees. And this formal announcement uh, that will come from the Jerusalem church had never been in serious question. It was only a matter of time. A critical oversight by the legalists was they attributing circumcision to Moses. Thereby, they incorrectly concluded what constitutes the people of God was keeping the law of Moses. Saying this came from Moses. What they should have recognized in Scripture is that circumcision predated Moses and Mount Sinai. The sign was given to Abraham And justification by faith alone predated Abraham's circumcision. Our scripture reading earlier in Genesis 15 revealed to all that Abraham believed God and his faith was reckoned to him, was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was told by God, you have believed, you are justified in your faith. All by grace. And Abram's faith, being credited by God as righteousness, that's Genesis 15, assures Abraham was justified by faith more than 20 years before Abraham was given the sign of circumcision in chapter 17. The Apostle Paul describes Abraham's experience and his righteousness in this way. This is Romans 4 verse 2. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. Says Paul, if you think you earn it, it's payment for what is due. But to the one who does not work but believes in God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Can't get to heaven through work, proven by Father Abraham. Justification is by faith and not by circumcision, and not through keeping the law of Moses, which wouldn't even even be given to Abraham's descendants Uh, the Jews for more than 400 years to come, justification by faith predates everything. In case you're trying to understand the word justification, here's essentially what it means. Being justified means that we, as rebellious and sinful creatures, Say I'm a sinful and rebellious creature. Not not out loud. (laughs) Justification means that we, as rebellious and sinful men and women, enjoy a guiltless standing before God, a holy and righteous creator in heaven. Justification does not mean that we are sin-free. It means that we are guilt-free. Our guilt has been removed by God. How does God do that? Justification includes that through believing in Jesus Christ as Savior of the world, God credits us with the perfect righteousness of His sinless Son who died for us on the cross. We are guilty as sin. And we are guilty of sin. But Jesus lived the perfect, holy, and righteous, and blameless, and sinless life. And he became our penal substitute. God punished our sins in his son, uh, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He was our substitute. Scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And through placing your faith in Jesus Christ, God will attribute attribute the perfect sinless obedience of his son, the perfect sinless record of his son to you so that you can enter God's presence in heaven when you die and not go to hell. you will be, through faith, credited as perfectly holy and righteous. In that same act of substitution, God preserves his holy justice by punishing our sins in Jesus at the cross. Through Christ we are justified, and like Abraham, our faith is credited to us as righteousness. So the marker of those who enjoy a righteous standing before God, forgiven all of our sins and awarded eternal life, guaranteed of the kingdom yet to be established on earth, uh, those who have a righteous standing before God is the people having the same faith as Abraham while not being circumcised. what therefore constitutes all of the people of God throughout all of human history is justification by faith. Folks, lots of very evil people have been circumcised. That doesn't change a heart. That's not a sign of belonging to God. Similar to baptism. Lots of very evil people have had their heads sprinkled as a child or immersed in many believer baptism churches throughout the country. That's not the sign. Concerning righteousness, circumcision, or uncircumcision, it's not anything. And it never has been. In fact, even your ethnicity, we'll discover next Sunday, means nothing. But righteousness through Faith. But when God opens your heart and reveals his son to you, showing you the love, showing you the love of the cross, the majesty of his sinless son and sacrifice of his beloved on the cross, though you were previously rebellious, through faith in Christ, your conscience is cleansed. You are washed in the blood of Christ. You become reconciled to God through faith. To enter heaven, you must first be cleansed from your sin. Very important. This world, boy, it's rough. It's really rough. You know what the cause of it is? Sin. Sin. No, it's not sin. It's sin. It's us. It's human beings that disobey the design of God. Folks, that is not going to fly in heaven. Sin can't enter into heaven. If sin would be in heaven, it would be here. We'd be repeating the same thing all over again. Sin cannot be in the presence of heaven and of God and of the saints can't be. You have to be cleansed of it first. Sin shall not be allowed to pollute heaven. So here we are. We have two camps. First camp was certain men who, when they're corrected by the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, uh, learning that justification is through faith, they said, nah. God justifies us through faith plus circumcision and works of the law. In fact, uh, they said, we're going to proceed on to Galatia and teach all of those new churches the same. The second camp is believing Pharisees in Jerusalem. They begin by saying, uh, it's necessary to circumcise, circumcise them, direct them to observe the law of Moses, But when corrected by the apostles, when they are confronted with the truth of God's grace, these men will yield. They're believing. They will conclude that, you know, maybe I was wrong on some points. In fact, we've all been wrong on so many things in the past. And this second camp of believing Pharisees they have hearts that are humble. They say, "I'll, I'll be, I'll allow myself to be corrected when I am confronted with the truth of apostolic authority." They yield to apostolic doctrine because they are described as believing, and all of us increasingly learn over time and increasingly yield to what the Spirit and what Scripture say. Um, you know, nothing bothers me more. I'll close on this. Nothing bothers me more than when you show someone sound apostolic doctrine, repeatedly stated throughout Scripture. Not just one verse off a page, but repeatedly show them sound doctrine across Scripture. It's the writing of the apostles, those who saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead, those with authority. You wrote it down, you show them the truth and they say, "No." No. Um, my daddy taught me different." Or, you know, my study Bible says, or, "My experience has taught me otherwise, when in reality, your personal experience carries no authority whatsoever." What is your authority? Where is your tent? Where have you set up camp? Who are you camping with? I will be camping with the apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, Barnabas, and the rest next Sunday when Peter will make his announcement that there is no distinction. Let's pray. Father, as you've been so kind to continue to reveal over, for for some of us, decades, your greatness, the Spirit illumines us and teaches us increasingly over time, and we see that you're still changing us, that you're making a people for yourselves uh, that is holy and pure, righteous in the reflection of your Son. And Father, we ask that you would continue that work in us, that you continue to reveal yourself to us, that our spirit would yield within us, to embrace all that your apostles have said. Lord, be glorified in this and guide us in truth, righteousness, and dignity in every way. As we thank you for your beloved Son, Jesus. Amen.